It's good to be with you this morning, Central. Uh, last summer when I was with you, we were walking through the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11, looking at all these people from biblical history whose faith carried the story forward. The author of Hebrew begins with Abel, gets all the way to Rahab, and then like any good preacher realizes that if you kept going, this would get way too long. And so he literally says, what more shall I say? Time would fail me if I listed all the others. And that may be true, but if the author of Hebrews had kept going, no doubt Ruth and Boaz would be in the list. And so I'm cheating a little bit this morning, making a detour from Hebrews to look at a little bit at the story of Ruth as a story of surprising kindness. Before we hear God's word, let's pray together. Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Attune our senses and illumine our minds, move our hearts to receive your beauty, your truth, and your goodness. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we're going to pick up the story of Ruth in chapter 2. It's printed there in your bulletins. But what's happened so far is that Naomi has moved to Moab. Her sons had married Moabite women, but then both her husband and her sons die leaving her these daughter-in-laws, Moabite daughter-in-laws. And uh, Naomi is, is deep in grief and she resolves to, to travel back to her hometown, Bethlehem. And rather than staying in Moab with her own people, Ruth binds herself to Naomi and travels back to Bethlehem. They arrive back at the beginning of the barley harvest and that's where we pick up the story in Ruth chapter two. Hear now God's word. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whom sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. They answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowed to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. How you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. 
And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here, eat some bread, dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves, do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean, do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. My wife, Stephanie, was at the grocery store a while back with our three kids, getting the week's worth of groceries, which for us is a heaping cartload of groceries. It's moving toward checkout and realizes she's forgotten her wallet. And so she starts looking at her phone, like may I have Apple Pay or some other way to, to pay for these groceries, is kind of panicking at that moment. And the man behind her just quietly stepped up and said, add it to mine, just add it to mine. And she's kind of flustered and overwhelmed by this act of kindness, but he just, waves her on, say, no, just go, enjoy your, enjoy your day. And off she goes with the cartload full of the week's groceries. And I think it's super rare to experience an act of kindness like that. But we crave it. We crave kindness, especially in the world that we live in, a world that's ripped apart by war, violence, political divisions, economic disparities, racial prejudice, mental health crises, loneliness epidemic, the race to get ahead, I mean, you name it. There are so many forces in the world, in our culture, that work against kindness. So even a little bit of kindness can be enormously refreshing. And when we think about kindness, I think we often think of these random acts of kindness, like the man in the grocery store, which are beautiful and moving, but the Hebrew word, often translated kindness in our English Bibles, is a much different sort of thing. This features in the story of Ruth. And this word means something much different, much deeper than just a one-off random act of kindness. So the Hebrew word is hesed, and it's one of those words that's almost impossible to translate. There's an old Italian proverb, traditori, traditori, it's fun to say, traditori, traditori. It means traitorous translator. Speaking to the fact that anytime you translate a word, you're taking something that's rich in context, meaning, and history, and you're transporting it over here to another culture, rich in meaning, context, history, and you're bound to lose at least a little bit of that original richness to it. That's true for all words, but some words it's especially true. And hesed is, is one of those words. You're bound to lose a little bit of what it's like. And I can think of some other words as well. For example, when I lived in Scotland, they had this beautiful word to describe the weather, but also your mood and just life in general. And that word is drich. So when you're feeling like it's just drich, there's no other word for it. You know, you can't, you can't translate drich. You just have to experience it. And that's uh, similar to what's going on with hesed. You have to experience hesed to know it, uh, but if we had to translate it, it would be something like kindness, but not random act of kindness. 
my best take for you this morning in translating this untranslatable word is costly covenantal kindness. Costly covenantal kindness. Because hesed is the heart of God. That's why it's difficult to translate. Hesed is God's costly covenantal kindness. So hesed is not Ruth baking some raisin cakes and sending Naomi on her way. That would be kind. Hesed is Ruth binding herself to Naomi and saying, I, your people will be my people. Where you live, I will live. Where you go, I will go. Where you die, I will die. And this is especially striking because Ruth married Naomi's son, but she was a Moabite who were arch enemies of the people of Israel at this time. But instead of staying with her people, which would have made all the sense in the world where she would be safe and known, Ruth's hesed reconfigured her life and it drew her into very surprising kinship relationship with Naomi. And Naomi recognizes that. In chapter one, she says, may the Lord show you kindness, show you hesed, as you have shown hesed to your dead husbands and to me. So random acts of kindness are wonderful. We need more of those. But that's not what this story is about. And that's not what the heart of God is all about. This is costly covenantal kindness which reconfigures our lives in surprising ways and moves us into very surprising kinship relationships. And we see that playing out here in the second chapter of Ruth. So Ruth and Naomi have arrived back to Bethlehem at the time of the barley harvest and Ruth wants to continue showing hesed to Naomi by taking care of her and gleaning in the fields to get some food for them. And at first blush, this might not seem like an extension of her hesed. I think because when we read that phrase, gleaning in the fields, it sounds so lovely, so romantic. I'm gonna go glean in the fields, would you join me? And you know, it does sound nice, but that's not what gleaning was like in the ancient world. Gleaning was one exhausting work. You would get maybe a pound, if you're lucky, of barley after a whole arduous day of gleaning. But that's, that wasn't the worst thing at this time. Gleaning was women's work and it was dangerous work for the women. Women were often uh, accosted, even assaulted by male harvesters, especially if they were unknown foreigners. And so, yes, God had given his people a unique and beautiful law about gleaning. It was meant to protect women, but Ruth is happening at the time of the judges. And what do we learn at the time of the judges? This refrain over and over again, people just did what was right in their own eyes. This is not a time of protection for gleaners. Ruth had every right to glean as a widow, as a foreigner, as someone in poverty, but this was a dangerous, risky, costly act for her to extend chesed to Naomi in this way and say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna risk my life to go provide for you. So she doesn't know what to expect. And we read in verse three, this is a turning point in the story, that Ruth just happened to end up in the field of Boaz. It's a tamer translation of the original, which means Ruth was super lucky, and she ended up in the, in the field of Boaz. And I don't think we translate it that way, because that doesn't sound very spiritual, certainly not theologically right, but that's what it, it, it appeared very lucky, very unlikely that Ruth would end up in the field of Boaz. But the author is 
also kidding around with us a little bit because if we haven't seen already, this is a story of divine hesed. This is, this is, might seem random, all these different circumstances coming together, but it's not. It's divine orchestration where God is showing in a really mysterious way through the actions of others, personalities of others, circumstances of others, his own kindness, his costly covenantal kindness to his people. That's what the story of Ruth is essentially about. That we're meant to see through Ruth and through Boaz This God who has decided to bind himself to a particular people. This God who exists and is on a mission to care for the vulnerable and to bind up the brokenhearted and to create a people from every tribe and nation who would be a living, breathing testimony to his chesed. So what might seem like luck is divine orchestration working through rather than around human decisions And not only that, but God over and over again, as we see in the biblical story, delights to work in and through very unlikely people in very unlikely circumstances, which in this case is a poor Moabite widow who later becomes the great-grandmother to King David and, of course, eventually King Jesus. So up until this point in the story, it's Ruth's chesed, her covenantal costly kindness toward Naomi, and now we get a switch and Boaz enters the scene. Boaz sees Ruth, he protects Ruth, and he provides for Ruth, all of which is an expression of his costly covenantal kindness as a reflection or a channel of God's chesed. So just for the time remaining, I wanna look at those actions of Boaz, how they help us see the gospel in a new way, and how they might motivate us to receive God's hesed to be a channel of that to our neighbors. So first, Boaz sees Ruth. He notices her, which I've heard this explained as a uh, love at first sight kind of story. So Boaz comes from Bethlehem, he casts his eyes over the field, double take, wow. Look at that woman. And the text doesn't really indicate that this is a love story. What the text indicates is that Boaz cares for his workers. He enters the field, he greets them in the name of the Lord. He probably knows each of them by name, including the gleaners. So of course, if he sees someone unusual, he's gonna notice, especially someone who no one else really knows, and so we ask, who does she belong to? Who's her family? It's a, it's a caring kind of question. And rather than ignoring a poor gleaner, which would have been very common for a landowner like Boaz, just looking past her in unconcern, Boaz sees Ruth, which is such a beautiful reflection of Yahweh's kindness, isn't it? That our God, Yahweh God, is a God who sees those who feel unseen. God sees those who feel abandoned and neglected. I think of the story of Hagar. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible, Genesis 16. Hagar is driven out into the wilderness because of the spite of Abram's wife, Sarai. There she is in the wilderness in a situation of abandonment and despair, and the Lord meets her and gives her a blessing. And then Hagar becomes the only person in the Bible with the audacity to give God a name. 
Oh, God, you are the God who sees me. Elroy, you are the God who sees. Not just sees in general. Yes, God knows all that's happening. He sees everything that we're doing. This is the God who sees those who others don't see. This is the God who sees the vulnerable and the abandoned and the unseen. And this is such good news for us now, always, that if we're in a situation where maybe you feel unseen by your family, God sees you. If you're in a situation in life where you feel unseen by a spouse or a coworker or a boss, God sees you. If you feel abandoned or unseen by powers that be, politicians or whoever the case may be, we need to remember that God is the God who sees, not just in general, but he sees you specifically when you feel unseen. God sees, he has compassion, and he acts to save. This is who God is. And we see this in the ministry of Jesus. There's a reflection over and over in a refrain, I should say, over and over in the Gospels that Jesus saw the crowds, he noticed them, he felt compassion, and he was moved to heal or to have a conversation, to, to save in some way. This is who God is. He f- sees, feels, and acts. And this then becomes the life pattern of those who receive the love of God, who receive the costly, covenantal, hesed kindness of God. It transforms us into people who are able to see, like Boaz, who are able to have compassion, who are able to act. But this this moment of seeing and noticing, this is so critical, we shouldn't skip over it. It's actually the root of all mercy and justice. That if we would see people as they are, we would know their situation, take the time to really notice and see and we will able, be able to walk alongside them, to act in ways that are fitting, to improvise mercy and justice in the world in a fitting way. And that's precisely what Boaz does. He sees Ruth, he then protects her. And he invites her to keep gleaning in his fields, he instructs his men not to touch or harass her. In other words, Boaz knows that Ruth needs this context of safety. She needs a refuge in order to uh, to, to get food. And so he creates a refuge, which again reflects the hesed of God. He, he names that in verse 12. If you look at this verse, Boaz is locating his kindness toward Ruth within the story of God's hesed. He tells Ruth, may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth probably didn't even know that's what she was doing, but Boaz is naming that by being in his field, she is coming under the refuge of God, that God is the one who ultimately provides refuge and protection. Boaz is just a channel of it. And I think he's invoking the song of Moses here, Deuteronomy 32, that praises God as Israel's refuge like this eagle that's hovering over its young, spreading its wings to catch them and carrying them on its pinions. Boaz becomes the the conduit or the channel of this refuge of God. Providing refuge for the vulnerable then is the essence of a gospel lifestyle. 
That's why James, brother of Jesus, says true religion is to care for orphans and widows. That's why Jesus says that those who know him are those who protect and care for the unclothed, the unhoused, the prisoner. Chesed is not a random act of kindness. Chesed is costly, covenantal kindness that cares for the vulnerable and the unseen and the abandoned, whether that's the children in your own home or a neighbor or a stranger, whoever it may be. Chesed moves us to see, to protect, and then to provide in an ongoing way. So Boaz not only creates the the conditions in which Ruth can be safe and protected, he then actively and creatively over the top provides for Ruth. He provides for her by letting her glean with the servants who are hired to tie the grain into sheaves, by allowing her to get water whenever she needs it, and then even by inviting her to share his bread and wine vinegar at mealtime, which this would have been the shocker. May not seem that way to us, but meals in ancient Israel were strictly segregated events. Men did not eat with women, Rich did not eat with poor. Israelites did not eat with foreigners. They were used to demarcate social standing. It's just meals, that's what they were. So when Boaz invites Ruth to eat with him, he is boldly and joyfully breaking all kinds of cultural norms and expectations. And it becomes this beautiful foreshadowing of the gospel where Jesus breaks down all dividing walls that we use to demarcate our social standing, our differences. Paul describes that Jew and Gentile, bound or free, man and woman, we're one. Keep going, Democrats, Republicans, vegetarians, omnivores, uh, Cardinals and Cubs fans. I don't know what the divisions are. I'm very excited to be in St. Louis and go to a Cards game again. But the gospel destroys divisions. The gospel moves us into surprising kinships with people that we're not supposed to be in relationship with. Why? Because of our kinship and our oneness in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And the most radical act in the early church, just like we see Boaz doing, were these communal meals together, where people who were not supposed to be eating together, it was virtually impossible for a Jew to eat with a Gentile, are now feasting together and joining together and for a common mission and friendship, all these people who should never be in life together were enjoying deep kinships. So Boaz providing food for Ruth, that's wonderful. In fact, it's pretty amazing. She, uh, the text says she got an ephah of barley at the end of the day. That's it's about 30 pounds of barley. Okay, so 30 times what an ordinary gleaner would get in a day. She's lugging this home to Naomi, that's amazing. But the greater thing that Boaz provided for Ruth was that she was kin, not an outsider. She was family now. She was his people now. And this action of Boaz communicated loud and clear that she belonged, which is why she's blown away by this action. But just as Ruth's kindness toward Naomi created this surprising kinship, so now Boaz's kindness toward Ruth creates this counter-cultural kinship 
which is later solidified by a very creative act of Ruth's on the threshing floor. But the driving force of all of this is chesed. Costly covenantal kindness. Verse 20, which we didn't read this morning, but Naomi concludes in verse 20, the Lord bless Boaz. He has not stopped showing his chesed to the living and the dead. In reality, it's not his chesed. He is is a channel or a conduit of God's chesed. And this chesed is reconfiguring lives. Ruth's life, Naomi's life, Boaz's life, reconfiguring their lives and creating these boundary transgressing kinships because that's what the love of God does. That's what the chesed of God does in the world. And then it disrupts our lives in the best possible ways, moves us to to see and to protect and to provide for the vulnerable. And it's bringing us into relationship where by all practical view would be impossible. But let me end here. In terms of application, the main application is not just be more like Boaz. That would be too easy. (laughs) The main application for us is do you realize how much God loves you? Do you realize what God gave up, how costly and covenantal his kindness is toward you? And have you reveled in that and received that in a way that it's beginning to change your heart, that it's beginning to move you to a place where you can start to see those who feel unseen. You can get really creative about how you're protecting them and providing for them. So God's hesed is a little bit like the guy in the grocery store in that it's totally unmerited. It's not like this man was watching my wife saying, ooh, good food choice, mmm, organic greens, very good, not yelling at her kids. I think I'm gonna pay for her groceries. No, it's just unmerited, generous, here, let me pay. Not based on what my wife was doing. Similar to God's chesed, but unlike the man in the grocery store, God's chesed is way costlier, and it's deeply covenantal. That through his kindness, God is inviting us into communion with him and a life with him forever and was so committed to that that he would give up his life, right? To, to show us the extent of his chesed and then to transform us so that we can be chesed people. Before I close in prayer, uh, just take a moment of silence, close your eyes and ask the spirit to show you how you might receive the love of God afresh today and become a chesed person this week. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord God, for surprising us with your kindness. Thank you for seeing us, for being a refuge for us, by giving us everything that we need to be your friends and your companions forever in Christ Jesus. By your spirit, create within us the ability to be Hesed people, 
to be people who see, people who provide, people who protect uh, the unseen. By your grace, move among us and make us a beautiful, chesed people. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.